What a morning, huh? That was beautiful and encouraging and refreshing. And uh, I'm honestly also struck by the tension of what we just prayed for. And isn't that, isn't that all of life where uh, we are in one moment grieving tragedy and loss and struggle and at the other moment celebrating life and hope and uh, joy. Um, I was actually talking to Chris and Stephanie Teague this morning. They uh, helped lead us um, on Wednesday at Evensong and we were learning about lament and we were just real quickly just kind of talking about 2021 and here we are getting to the end and looking forward to Christmas and all that. And they said, I guess this is going to be a hard year, uh, end of the year, isn't it? I lost my mom in March. And I just immediately, I just thought, you know, yeah, <laughs> that's going to be really hard to uh, celebrate Christmas without her. And yet, uh, all four of our children had a baby this year. And so we've got, you know, great loss and great gain all at the same time. And there's room for all of that. I think that's part of what we were learning on Wednesday is uh, that um, there is room for grief and for great joy uh, intermingled. So I hope uh, if you didn't get to experience even song, uh, we've got that recorded. Love for you to, to get to see that. Well, all right. We are in uh, week three of our uh, Advent study. And so uh, I want you to have your Bible handy. Uh, we've been saying that we're not studying like one particular passage or a book, but we're doing much more of a topical survey and looking at some of the themes of Advent. So I'll get, that, uh, get to that in just a minute. And I, I would also say, if you've got uh, an outline and, and online, we've got uh, outlines there that you can download those or print them out. Today might be a day where you have your pen ready because I'm going to give you a ton of scripture references and uh, I fully expect that you'll need to go back and spend some time uh, just in your own study and devotional time looking at these passages. So uh, off we go. Uh, just want to remind us, Advent, as we said in week one, is a season we celebrate and a truth we proclaim. And that truth revolves around a person, a historical person, the person of Jesus. And we said our key passage for this whole series comes out of 2 Corinthians 4, 5 through 7. Paul writes this, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So we're learning about this treasure that we have in the person of Christ, and we're looking at the properties of this treasure, some of those qualities that we get to enjoy having entrusted our lives to him. And uh, it's been a, a sweet few weeks. Uh, week one, we talked about uh, the precious gift of hope 
and how we have that in Christ. We talked about hope being patient endurance amid life's futility while waiting for the redemption that is yet to be seen. We also talked about it being a confidence in the return of Christ while uncertain about its timing. That's a quality of hope that we all experience. And then in week two, last week, Jeff took us through joy and what an encouragement uh, last week was. He mentioned a definition that uh, John Piper came up for joy, a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world and in our lives. And uh, specifically, I loved a statement that Jeff made about joy in just everyday life. He was referring to Paul. He said, Paul surrendered the life he had apart from Christ for more joy, not less. And isn't that often the dilemma when, if you can think back to whenever it was you came to Christ, wasn't that one of the dilemmas? Like, what am I gonna lose by giving my whole life to Christ and trusting in him? And in reality, as we look at Paul, we see that he gave up everything for more joy, not less. That's what God offers. So uh, this week, we're going to talk about love. Jesus, of course, is uh, the source of joy and the source of hope. And as we come to this subject of love, we're going to see that love is actually the source of joy and hope. Whoop, let's get that candle going there. There we go. When you think about love, I'm sure you might think about it in a lot of different ways. We use that word very frequently, um, often thoughtlessly. We just talk about the things that we love, right? And what we're saying is we really appreciate something. We really value something. We really enjoy something. Uh, but today we're going to go uh, much further into that subject. We're going to really try to understand as best we can a biblical perspective on love. Ultimately, the love of God is the reason that we have any meaningful sense of hope and joy, and then next week we're gonna talk about peace. To have those things in the midst of a sin-wrecked world, you gotta have love. Without it, those other things are hard to find. It's interesting throughout history, you've had people, and we see this in our Old Testament, we see it in our New Testament, you see people waiting for God to intervene in the midst of all this brokenness, to bring what the Bible refers to as a new heaven and a new earth. Love is instrumental in those things happening, but I wanna point your attention to um, Isaiah 65 and 66. Again, just jot that down. There's a reference there to new heavens and new earth. And then if you go to the end of our Bible in Revelation 21, you see the description of when that actually takes place, when God ushers in the new heaven and the new earth. In 2 Peter 3, 
Peter was obviously one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he spoke about this idea of waiting for the, this promise. He says it this way, according to his, that is God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. dwells. And I think there could be no better description for Advent. Like that's what we're doing right now. We're thinking about the first Advent, God fulfilling his promise by bringing Christ as he said he would, but then we're told there is a return of Christ. That is our hope. That will be what triggers this ushering in of a new heaven and a new earth, all things made new. And so that's what we're thinking about right now. We're anticipating that. We're excited for that. And yet we still live in a broken, sin-wrecked world and we're uh, holding on to our hope. We wanna wait well until that happens and I can't think of anything that helps us to better wait well than a profound grasp of God's love. That's actually what Paul prayed for in Ephesians three. So he wrote to this church in Ephesus. Those people were waiting just like we are and here's what he prayed for them. That you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That was his prayer for them and that's my prayer for us today. I hope that after today, you will, uh, you will find yourself just reflecting on the love of God with great regularity. And that will be a great source of encouragement to you in the days ahead. I want to give you three truths today related to the love of God, all of which will help us wait well, not just in this particular season of Advent, but every day of the year. Now, I mentioned... Um, Paul's prayer just now from Ephesians 3, he was praying that they would be strengthened in order to grasp the, the expanse of God's love. And he's assuming there that without God's help, we wouldn't be able to grasp the vastness of God's love, right? We need his enablement. We need his help. But the scriptures speak often of this vastness. I'll mention a few passages. Psalm 33, five says, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. It's everywhere. Psalm 36, five says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. In describing the love of God, the writer of Psalm 136 repeats this phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. He repeats it 26 times over and over and over again. And I think the reason that he does is because we're slow, <laughs> right? There's, there's so much that seems to compete with that idea. And so he just says it again and again and again. His steadfast love endures what? forever. That's vast. That's big. I can't even really fully understand it. 
But that's what God says about his love. Psalm 86, five, you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. If you have called upon the Lord, his love is infinite. You'll never get to the end of it. You have it in full every day. Now let's shift to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So now we're getting a little more clarity about what it means for us to experience this gift of love from God. That word shows there, you could also translate that as demonstrates or proves. So God demonstrates or proves his love for us, which means he highlights just how far he stretched for our good. That, that points us to that word while. He loved us while or in spite of or in light of the fact that we were sinners. While we were still sinners, and it's interesting if you look at the context around this statement, you'll see there's three other, or two other whiles. In verse six, he says, while we were weak. Here he says, while we were sinners. And then in verse 10, he says, while we were enemies. While we were all of that, Christ died for us. He loved us beyond comprehension. Love in a manger, which we're celebrating right now, became love on a cross. And it made all the difference in the world. The Apostle John says this in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his friends. Christ laid down his life for you and there is no greater overture of love that he could make toward you than that. There's just nothing else. There's nothing else to be done. If you're wondering if God loves you, you have only to look at the cross and to say, I can't be any more loved than that. That's it. That's the pinnacle. And that is our assurance that he will not only love us today or tomorrow, or next year, or in our last breath, but he will love us for all of eternity. I uh, love a statement that Tim Keller made about love. It's in his book, Meaning of Marriage, but it certainly applies to today. He says this, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. I feel that. So much of my story was and still is about working through my own flawed understanding or distortions of the love of God. I can think of all the reasons why he shouldn't love me. It's really easy. Maybe you can as well. 
And yet the scriptures say again and again, there's no need to perform and there is no room for pride. There's just an enormous sense of assurance, not based on us, but based on him. And our willingness to come to him with empty hands and just say, I need you to love me. And I know that I don't deserve it. But I need it. And that's our second truth is you have no greater need than to have God's love in your life. He loves you more than you can fully comprehend, but that is your greatest need. I'm going to take us to a very, very familiar verse and ask you to think with me for a moment carefully about what this says. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his own son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Without the love of God in our life, here's how we're described. Spiritually dead and destitute. Our minds are said to be darkened or we are said to be deceived. We walk in darkness. We're described as lost, not sure where to go next and not sure how to get where we'd really like to go. We're said to be hopeless. That's how the Bible describes every human being who has ever lived on earth apart from God, without the love of God in their life. That's how we're described. John goes on to say in another, that, that was out of the Gospel of John. This is out of one of his later letters, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Nevertheless, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that anyone who would believe in him would not perish with the world, but have eternal life instead. God loved so that we could live. And I actually, I, I, I wanna take just a quick moment here. No fanfare, no spectacular moment, no emotional draw. I literally just, I want everybody to close their eyes look down at the floor, whatever. And I just for a moment, I want you to think, have you ever asked God to love you that way? And if you would even say today, I realize I need God to love me this way and I've never asked, would you just pop your hand up? God's answer is always yes. And we know that 
because Christ laid down his life in your place and in mine. If you want to talk about that further, I want to ask you to reach out to me or reach out to Jeff, reach out to one of our elders or staff. Just reach out to a mature, godly friend and and talk about it. Settle it. Live as if you are loved perfectly. All right, you guys can look up. Now, for those of you who have the love of God in your life, there is a vital moment by moment need to do what the Bible refers to as abiding. So prior to knowing Christ, prior to trusting in him, you're just literally asking, I need to be forgiven. I need you to love me. I need to have your love in my life. Once you have that, then there is this thing called abiding. I wanna define that for you because that's how we apply this love relationship each and every day as we're waiting on the return of Christ when he makes all things new. So here's some explanation for abiding. Abiding in the love of God means trusting him, not just one time, but all the time. It's just a way of making your way through life. It's believing his word. I think Jeff mentioned last week, if we don't know his word, it's hard to believe it, right? So you're, you're constantly feeding on God's word and believing what it has to say. Not only that, obeying what he commands. Not to get something, but because he's been so loving. (laughs) You're like, what else would I do? I'm just gonna do what he says because he loves me so much and wants good for me. Depending on his provision, that's a, a facet of abiding. It's just depending upon him every day. And then lastly, persevering in his plan. We are all tempted to go our own way, to do our own thing to trust ourselves. Abiding means you just continue to stay at it. I know know this is what God's called me to be about and I'm gonna stay at it. That is abiding. Abiding is key to experiencing intimacy with Christ and fruitfulness in everyday life. Intimacy with Christ and fruitfulness. 1 John 4, 16 and 17. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. There's the intimacy. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for for the day of judgment because he is, so also are we in this world. Jesus illustrated this idea of abiding using just an everyday picture of a vine and a branch. John 15, abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, all those descriptions that I gave there, trusting, obeying, depending, persevering. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do, say it, nothing. nothing. Not a thing of any significance. It will not last. It will not bear any fruit if you do it apart from him. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. But abiding in him, hold on, man. There is no telling what God will do in and through your life for his purposes. And it will last for all of eternity. God loves you more than you can fully comprehend. And you have no greater need than to have God's love in your life. And then finally, you have no greater privilege than to extend God's love to others in need. Back to John, 1 John 3.16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. That's how you know that God loves you. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. There it is. See, we are not the point of termination for God's love. It doesn't just land on us and stop. We're meant to be a conduit or an outlet for the love of God. Jesus modeled that perfectly, didn't he? He was perfectly loved by the Father. He perfectly loved the Father. And he perfectly extended the love of the Father to all of the world. And we are to do the same. Now, we don't give love to get love, right? We give love because we are loved. John continues, 1 John 4, 7 through 10, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Just as a side note, Jesus said, just as the Father sent me, I send you. Same deal. We're not gonna die for anybody else's sins, but we're gonna tell them about the one who did. That's what it's all about. Now, according to John, God's love was made most tangible and most visible in the person of Christ. And Jesus was sent from heaven into the world to seek and save the lost. So when you and I have God's love in our life, that activates us in the same mission. And you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have every answer to every question. All you really gotta know is how God did it. How God accomplished this beautiful work of forgiveness and redemption. And it's in the person of Christ. It's just him standing in our place. The word that's used here is propitiation. And I want to talk about that for just a minute because that's really the good news that we get to tell people 
everywhere we go. The propitiation for sins is that which adequately covers or satisfies the consequence for sin. So God said, Genesis, right right at the beginning there, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, if you disobey, it leads to death. Eat from the tree, you die. That's the consequence of sin. So somebody's got to pay it. God sent Jesus as a propitiation, a payment for that sin. Now, Jesus was innocent, right? So his payment can be for you and me. It's a gift. We can just simply receive it or reject it. But that payment is what allows a loving God to extend mercy justly because justice is still served. It's just served with Christ instead of with us. Here's how it works. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death, right? So only death could pay the debt. It was God's love for humanity that prompted him to essentially pay himself with himself. That's what God did. That is propitiation. So the father's wrath towards sin was fully satisfied in the substitutionary death of Christ, who was sinless, and that enabled the father to freely extend mercy to you and me, a bunch of sinners, even while we were sinners. We didn't and couldn't have done anything to have gotten his attention or prompted him to do that. As I said earlier, love in a manger became love on a cross. So with all of that, as we wrap up, I wanna ask and answer the question, what does God's love actually look like when we put it on? If we're an outlet for the love of God, what does it look like when we're wearing it, when we're living it? And obviously, there's no better description of this than 1 Corinthians 13. I want to read that to you, and then I want to work our way through it slowly, kind of as a so what. You know, we always ask the question, so what? What difference does everything that we've been talking about this morning, what does that make in my life? How do I apply it to my life? So I'm going to give you an opportunity to invite God to help you apply it to your life in some particular way. So first of all, let me read from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. This is the description of love as it works out in your life. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I love the beginning of verse 8. Love never ends. So I want to give you an opportunity. I'm just going to work back through each of those descriptions. 
And I want you to ask God, first of all, thank him that he loves you more than you can even comprehend. You might just say again, just confess to him, Lord, I need you to love me probably more than I even understand or appreciate. And then, Lord, I want to be an outlet for your love to all who cross my path. So help me, show me how I can better love the people around me. So here, we're gonna work through it. First of all, love is patient. Willing to wait on the process of others' progress. That can be challenging, can it? But being patient means you're willing to wait and allow others to have space to grow. Love is kind. Kindness seeks the particular good of another. So it's not just this generic, broad stroke kind of, I just want to be kind. It's noticing need and being willing to meet that need in a very particular way. Love seeks the particular good of another. Love is not envious It's actually glad for the good fortune of others. Love doesn't think that, well, that ought to be mine. It actually says, I'm so glad it's yours. That's what love does. Love is not boastful or arrogant. It doesn't think too highly of itself. It's amazing, it's often in our insecurity that we gravitate to this. Somebody who's really full of themselves probably thinks very little of themselves, truly. Love doesn't do that. Love is not rude. It doesn't impose or presume upon others. It's that idea of considering others more important than yourself. Love doesn't expect everybody else to accommodate you. Saying, I want to accommodate the people around me. And that goes to the next one. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Love is glad to defer to others. Says, yeah, let's do it your way. Doesn't have to be in control. Love is not irritable. Man, lots of opportunities for application there, right? I'll tell you what, for me, this is a good one. Love doesn't have a short fuse, right? So maybe I need to be aware of how quickly I get fired up. Love is not resentful. It doesn't hold a grudge and it's quick to forgive. Is there anybody that you need to forgive? Love is your only hope of extending that to somebody else who's hurt you. Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. 
It doesn't celebrate what God prohibits. So in other words, whatever God is against, love enables us to stand in a healthy way against it. Sometimes that means just to say enough. Love rejoices in truth, celebrates when truth prevails. There's been so much (laughs) confusion and conflicting opinions and attitudes about everything under the sun. And I'll tell you, I've adopted a phrase, truth is our friend, right? And love celebrates over truth. Love bears all things, which means love puts up with setbacks. We all have them. But love is is able to hang in there, even with a setback. Love believes all things, persistently trusts what God says. Even when our circumstances might say otherwise. Love hopes all things, which means love looks forward to all things one day being made new. And because of that, it's okay. It's okay right now. Even though life is hard and confusing and painful, difficult, it's going to be okay because we have a hope. Lastly, love endures all things, which just means it keeps going to the end. How would God like to grow love in your life? Take just a moment and uh, ask him to point you in the right direction in applying this, and I'll pray for us. infinitely we want to understand the vastness of the love you have for us we thank you for that Lord we need it and uh, help us to see and recognize and address that need in us with you and then Lord would you make us beautiful outlets of love to the world around us whether that's in our own home, across the street, around our city, wherever we cross paths with others, may they encounter the love of Christ in us. We thank you. We praise you. You're worthy. Pray that in Jesus' name.